if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open to John, you can. And um, as we um, look at the message today, there's three things that I want to say. Um, this quote was given uh, to me by, by Kim, my wife, earlier on this, um, this week, uh, from a man called John Stott. And he said in his quote here, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him. You killed him, God raised him, we've seen him. And before I speak, let's just pray and ask God for his help, shall we? Father in heaven, I just want to pray that you will um, be with us as we look at this together. And Father, thank you, God Almighty, for your grace. Thank you for bringing so many here today, Lord, um, this Easter morning. Lord, I want to thank you that as I drove here, I thank you that I saw Tesco's closed, saw Sainsbury's closed. So some of the main shopping places closed today, Lord. It's a wonderful thing just to see all closed. That men and women, Lord, might be able to maybe scratch their heads on a Sunday morning. What can we do? But Lord, the thing that they should be doing, Lord, is coming into a place like this. Where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And I thank you, Lord, that so many have taken the opportunity to come this morning to this place. Father, we pray, oh God, that you will bless every single person's effort to be here today, and God, that you will speak. Speak, Lord God, through the songs, speak through the testimony of Joseph, speak through the preaching of your word. Lord, we pray that we might hear your voice. We're not interested in hearing the voice of man. We want to hear what you have to say. So, Lord, speak, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many are unclear about the facts about the resurrection. Um, they tend to focus upon the cross and upon Jesus dying, which is great. But without the resurrection, the death of Jesus Christ will be meaningless. Without the resurrection, the death of Christ will mean that we still haven't got any forgiveness. So even though the death of Jesus Christ is vitally important, we need to focus upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the facts are vitally important. It's facts that we need to ascertain whether we believe the resurrection or not. And so the wrong facts will lead you down the wrong, wrong way. Or the wrong um, information will lead you down the wrong way. So we need real, solid facts in order to understand about the resurrection. I mentioned um, before that a 13-year-old boy claimed he witnessed a murder. And because of his witness, he sent a man into prison for 39 years. This man was only released last month in March, um, sometime this year, only released after serving 39 years in prison. Why was he released? Well, the 13-year-old boy, who's now turned into a man, confessed that he lied. And that the facts that he gave were completely wrong. And he didn't see this particular man commit this particular murder. And so his facts were wrong. It's important to get your facts right. 39 years the guy spent in prison because of wrong information. Have you ever received a wage slip? And you looked at your wage slip 
and they underpaid you. The facts were wrong. I mean, if they overpaid you, you might say, oh, that's not too bad. But um, if they underpaid you, you know, you say, that's wrong. I need to go back to my office and say, the facts are wrong. I've worked more hours than that. You owe me more money. Therefore, getting the facts right concerning the resurrection of Jesus needs to be the utmost importance. So the first thing that I want to uh, share with you is this. The first part here, you killed him. Peter, when he was preaching, said this in Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. What Peter was saying here is preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. And all the Jews in Jerusalem, he says to them, you killed him. You killed him. Now, these people in Jerusalem would have rightly said, hold on, we weren't even there. It was the Romans who did it. They might turn around and say, we wasn't there, we only only were spectating. We, We didn't really kill him. But Peter was determined to make it clear that it was, although they didn't pick up hammer and nail, although they didn't take a crown of thorns and place it on his head, Peter wanted to let them know, those people in Jerusalem, he wanted to let them know that they killed Jesus Christ. They were guilty. Question is, why? Why were they guilty? They were guilty because it was their sin that nailed him to the cross. They were guilty because it was their disobedience that caused Jesus to die. And not only them, listen to this, not only them, but every single Jew throughout the whole of the Old Testament, right to Adam, from him all the way through, every single one of them was disobedient. Every single one of them were guilty of sin. And it was their sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Look what the Lord says in Isaiah. He says this, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So, his own arm achieved salvation for him. In other words, God looked at all of the Jewish people from all of the history. Is there one person in that whole crowd that's able to do something marvelous and wonderful to save everyone else? There was no one. And so God said, I have the solution. I have my perfect son. I have a solution. I have the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I have a solution, says God. 
even though there's no one, because they all are disobedient, they all have gone backwards, I have someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ. And it's because of their sin, because of their disobedience, because of their guilt, because them throughout the Old Testament and those in Jerusalem, because of their sin, Jesus Christ was crucified. And so Peter was right when he says, you killed him. He was right when he said that. Sadly, what was true of the Jews is also true of us as well. What's true of the Jewish people in the Old Testament is true of us living in the 21st century. It's our sin, our guilt, our disobedience. Peter can come. If I can say to Peter, come now and preach to this crowd. Peter will stand up and he will say what I am saying. He will say to Golding's church, you killed him. You killed him. It's a song that I just want James just to sing while he's sitting there. James, raise your voice. It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished Amen. It was my sin. That held him there. Nothing else. It wasn't the nails that held him there. It wasn't the crown of thorns that held him there. It wasn't the Romans that held him there. But it was my sin that held him there. I am guilty. I'm the one who disobeyed. I'm the one who turned away from him. And because of my sin, I killed the Lord Jesus Christ. I nailed him on that tree. It was my sin. That held him there. Until you understand that, you will never be saved. Until you understand that one truth, you will always go astray. It's your sin and mine that held Christ on that cross. So Peter was right. You killed him. I killed him. We were there. In that song that Jim, uh, James just sung one of the lines in there again was, Behold, I hear my own mocking voice. My voice among the scoffers. I'm saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Away with him. I'm among that. I killed him. But the next thing that I want to say here this morning, not only did you kill him, but look at this. God raised him. I killed him, but God raised him. Look what Peter says. This is this. God, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised him. Now, this is a very vital, important message here. You see, on the morning of the resurrection, it was still. On the morning of the resurrection, it was probably still a bit dark. 
on the morning of the resurrection, no one was moving. And we see um, two or three women going to the tomb on the morning of the resurrection. And as they go to the tomb, they're going with some spices and some herbs. And they're going to anoint the body. And as they walk towards the tomb, they're speaking to one another. And they're saying, who's going to roll the stone away? And so we read this in Matthew 28. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. What a sight. Can you imagine that? You're going down to the tomb. It's still a bit twilight. It's not very, you know, the sun is just rising. It's still a bit dark. And you go into the tomb and suddenly the ground starts moving. There's an earthquake going on. And you look up. And these women must have been terrified. Because an angel, a powerful, mighty, awesome angel comes down. And goes to the tomb and rolls it. And him sits on the stone. That must have been an incredible sight. In fact, the angel came. A powerful angel, as you just read. He came not to raise Jesus from the dead. That's not the reason why he came. He came for one reason and one reason only. He came to roll the stone back in order so that the women can look inside. And when they look inside, they saw there was nothing there they came to the tomb expecting to anoint the body but when they came and they looked inside there was nothing so we read in the scriptures the angel said to the women do not be afraid for I know that you are who you are looking for looking for Jesus who was crucified he is not here he has risen just as he said come and see the place where he lay God had already been there before the angel. In fact, God had come. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the whole triune God has come. And Jesus Christ was already risen from the dead long before the angel came down. Jesus Christ was risen by God himself. And so when the women looked into the tomb, it was empty. There was nothing there. Now, That is a fact that no one has yet disproven. No one has found the bones of Jesus Christ. They've been looking. The Pharisees have been looking for a body for a long time. The Jews have been looking for a body. People have been looking for a body for ages, but now they've given up. Why? Because the evidence points to the fact that there was no human intervention The fact that in the presence of women and of gods, in the presence of men, the tomb was empty. There's nothing there. And people have been saying over the years, what happened to the body of Jesus? If the Jews could have found the body of Jesus, wouldn't you think they would bring him out and say, here he is. He's not risen. He's a dead man. Here he is. But they couldn't do it. Why? Because there's no body. The angel rolled 
the stone away. Not because Jesus didn't get out. He was already risen. No, so that people can look in and see there's no one there. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. And so he's been raised by God. And the final thing that I want to say, not only Christ is risen, we've seen him. Look what Peter said as he preached, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. We are all witnesses of it. Another version says, and we are all witnesses of that fact. God has raised Jesus from the dead. Well, there was a time when one of the disciples were not there when Jesus was risen from the dead. His name was Thomas. We read about him. Many people call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas was not just doubting, really. He was more of a skeptic. She called him Skeptic Thomas. Because Thomas turned around and he wanted proof. So he turned around and he says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was not doubting. Thomas was a skeptic. And, you know, we have many skeptics like this in our day. I want proof. In other words, I'm not going to take your word for it. Why should I take your word for it? Thomas is saying to these these other men, listen, I know I walked with you for three years. I know I've seen miracles. I know I've seen great things. And I know that I can trust you. But do you know what? I'm not taking your word. I want proof myself. And we all can sympathize with Thomas, can't we? We can all say, yeah, Thomas, man, I'm with you right there. You know, I sympathize with you. I was there. I would want proof too. And so Thomas was, was saying that because eyewitnesses are very important. Yeah, I remember back in the, another life, I was working as a store detective. You won't believe that. Detective Jerry, undercover. And I was, walking, I was working as a store detective in Marks and Spencer's in Oxford Street. It's amazing what you see as a store detective. No one would have thought that I was a store detective. They probably thought I was a criminal ready to steal something. <laughs> Walking around Marks and Spencer's all day. But I'm walking around Marks and Spencer's all day, you know, looking suspicious. So they probably thought it's okay to nick stuff. That guy's nicking anyway. <laughs> and I saw this guy hanging around the leather jackets. You know, whoever wants a leather jacket for Marks and Spencer must be desperate, right? It, it's bad quality. It's 150 pounds back in 20 years ago. But this guy was hanging around the leather jackets. So I, I began to observe him. And he tried one on and he went to the mirror. And he looked himself, and then he went back, took it off. Then he tried another one and went to the mirror and looked, and I was just watching this guy. And then the guy began to walk to the front doors. And as he walked to the front doors, passing by the tills, I was following him. Then he began to run to the front doors. So I began to run after him. I wouldn't do it now, you know, but I ran after him. And he went out into Oxford Street, and I chased him down the road and tackled the guy on the floor. Foolishness, really. You know, he could have killed me. But I tackled him for a coat from Mark Spencer. I tackled him on the floor. And we brought the jacket and the guy home. Or home. Back to the shop. Didn't bring it to my house. Back down to the shop. But you know what? It was the eye. My, my witness. My eye. I saw the whole thing. 
the whole thing from beginning to the end. And it was my eyewitness account that was used to convict the guy. You see, eyewitnesses are vital, very important. And Jesus knew that. And so Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was a skeptic. Thomas said, I don't believe it. So seven days later, Jesus said, you know what? It's so important that I get Thomas to understand I'm going to turn up again. And so we read what happens next. A week later, seven days later, the disciples were in that house again. And Thomas was there. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You see, an eyewitness is of vital importance. And Jesus wanted to make sure that every single man that followed him, every single disciple and women as well, every single man and woman who followed him, they had to see him risen. Why was that so important? Because these people were going to turn the world upside down. They were going to go into Jerusalem. They were going to go into Samaria. They were going to go to the outer parts of the world and say, we have seen Christ. And we will die for it. John um, Thomas cries out after seeing this. Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. I have to, I have to bow, I have to bow down. No longer are you the Jesus that I once knew. No longer are you the Jesus that walked by the Sea of Galilee. No longer are you the Jesus that um, broke the bread. No longer are you the Jesus that touched a few sick people. No, no, no. I now see you different. You are not only Lord, but you are God as well. And Thomas bows down and cries out, my Lord and my God. That's amazing. The facts. You see, if Thomas and the rest of the men stood up in a court and gave evidence of the resurrection, 12 men or so give evidence. Women who were at the tomb gave evidence. If they came and stood in front of you today and gave evidence, I want to tell you, you would not be able to refute what they say. Christ has been risen from the dead. Praise be to God. But Jesus wasn't too impressed with Thomas. I think he wanted to give Thomas a slap, really. But he didn't give Thomas a slap. That's what Christ do. But he wasn't too pleased with Thomas. But he turned around and he said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me but yet believe. God approves of the man. God approves of the woman who throws out blind faith. We don't want blind faith in the church. Who wants blind faith? Nobody wants blind faith. A leap into the dark. 
Nobody wants that at all. No, we don't want blind faith in the church. No, we want a person who not only knows that God, that they themselves were guilty of nailing Jesus, but they know that God raised him from the dead. And they know, because of the evidence, that Christ is alive. That's not blind faith. That is looking at the evidence and following the evidence to its logical conclusion. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen me, but they've read the record. They've looked into the scriptures, not only in the Bible, but even in other sources as well. And they looked and they said, you know what? It's beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus Christ is alive. And not only that, we can look at the lives of men and women around us in the church. Men and women who lived lives differently. Some spent years in prison. I was speaking to a man yesterday, 10 years in prison. He's in the church today, praising the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, after spending 10 years in prison. The power of God, the resurrection of Christ, can change a man like that. And only that, a young man like Joseph. I meet some rough, round-the-edge men, and they say, oh, I wish I was like Joseph. I wish... I knew Christ when I was 10 years old. I wish I didn't give my life, my years to the devil. I wish I didn't give my my energies to the world. I wish I knew Christ much earlier. How can he say that? Because of the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. And he works in the hearts of men and women today. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Again, Christ is risen. One more time. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. He's risen and he's risen indeed. Let's pray. Oh God Almighty. I thank you that even though I was guilty of nailing Christ, my sin nailed him to that tree. Even though I myself, not only me, but every other person in this Church this morning, we all were guilty. I thank you that you raised him from the dead. That he lives forevermore, exalted and high and lifted up. And he still is working in the hearts of men and women today. He's still changing lives, healing and restoring and strengthening and building lives from broken ashes. He's building them up again. And I thank you for the powerful, wonderful work of Christ. Father, I give you praise and I exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand, shall we, and sing and worship to God. Let's, then we're going to have the baptism. My heart is full of admiration for you. God and King, your excellence, my inspiration, your words of grace have made my spirit sing. All the glory, honor, and power belong to you, belong to you.
so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Amen. I'm going to ask Joseph a question about his faith, just one question, and then I'm going to baptise him in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's the God's command to us. He said, and Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and baptise them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Try you, God. And we will uh, do that, and we're going to sing uh, a song of worship straight after. Joseph Roberts, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? I do. On the confession of your faith, I gladly and with great joy baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
how marvellous, how wonderful this happy day. I know I cut that short, I do apologise, but I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, the alive Jesus of Nazarene, the, the one whose tomb is empty, the one who stands in our presence, the Jesus Christ, the risen one, our Saviour. I stand amazed in the presence and sing how marvellous.